0: Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's a great day to gather, Uh, not just a beautiful day, um, but as we prepare our hearts and minds for the Lord's Supper, Um, It's special, too, um, because we're reminded um, that this life that we live is not about us. And again, the reminder again and again and again, it's about Jesus, this promised one who has come, he's coming again, who made you, created you, is ready to welcome you back home, but until that time, our job on this planet is to keep pointing to him, the promised one. And so get ready, this bread and cup are more than just symbols, it's a commitment to step into God's story. It's a commitment to say, I'm gonna lose my life in your life. So we've been talking the last six, last four weeks as we go to six-week series, the drama of Scripture. The Bible as a story in six acts is what we're trying to do. Trying to help us understand this is one cohesive story about God, about you, and about the world and how it's all gonna end and why we're alive on this planet. And so I hope with that, That you will understand that God is present here, that God wants you in his story, because he loves you that much. He doesn't want you to miss out on his story. And so what we've been doing, we're talking about creation, fall, redemption. So you, you good note takers out there, you're gonna hear this every week: creation, the fall and redemption. You're going to see it again. We saw it with Adam and Eve last week. You're going to see it again as we talk about the story of Israel. Now, some of you have mentioned to me this past week, knowing what we're doing, you can notice that creation, I got to cover like chapter one and two of Genesis. Fall, I got to cover Genesis three. And then Israel, I get to cover like the entire rest of the Old Testament in one sermon. And so obviously I'm going to cover every single story of the Old Testament today, right? So the reality is, I want to give you a big picture of what this place in the story that Israel plays, because guess what? We inherit part of that story of Israel as the church, and we're going to talk about that, what that means. And so as we're talking about creation, fall, and redemption, what we want to see is how God has not given up on humanity. God has not given up on you. God, when he looks at the brokenness of this world, the brokenness of our system, the brokenness of young people being more depressed and suicidal than ever, God has not given up because he's placed you on this planet to be a light. That one person might be changed because of you. God in you, helping to save a life. There are people when I was... Some of our friends right here are teenagers. There were people that God sent in my life that saved my life. Now, they don't even know they saved my life. But because they were connected with God, because they were open to being in God's story, they naturally did things that helped save my life. And you could be a part of that to someone else's life if you'll step into God's story, if you you won't forget that you are on this planet not for yourself, but for Him, because He wants you to have the greatest joy possible. God wants to maximize your joy. And the only way to do that is to decenter yourself and to land in God's story. And so God hasn't given up on humanity, even though they've turned away. Adam and Eve, remember from last week, Genesis 3, they're banished from the garden. God chooses, though, after that, a certain line of people. It's referenced here in Exodus 32. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Exodus 32 mentions Israel. These are people, a lineage, a specific family that God says, I choose you and through you a great nation will arise that will be a blessing to the entire world. That through this family, not only will you have kids and babies and land, you are going to bring salvation to the entire planet. No pressure, okay? Through you, your one family, will come a nation that will bless the entire, human population, okay? But what happens? These very people get enslaved in Egypt. This is a problem. It looks like God's people won't survive. And then Moses shows up. Oh, hope again. When all looks lost, God provides a person named Moses. And Moses himself is a miracle. He should have been dead, right? Sent down the river, if you remember the story, and should have been dead. But God, again, has not given up he will fulfill his promise. And then it looks like things have gone wrong again. They're enslaved in Egypt. There's no hope. Moses grows up. Uh, The the Pharaoh and the family doesn't know uh, exactly uh, what he's going to do. And he says, I am a Hebrew as well. They escape from Egypt. And what God does, he promises these wandering Israelites, he makes his promise known again. He says, look, I haven't given up on you. I will never give up on you. And so God Reinstitutes, re promises, reminds them again, these wandering Israelites, a special place to live is the promise, it's called the promised land. Okay? Now, if we had GPS back in that day, what should have been a pretty straight shot from Egypt to this promised land ended up looking like this, and not just for 40 days, but for 40 years. My goodness. Why? They stopped trusting God. Remember Adam and Eve, their sin? If you heard last week, their sin was eating a piece of fruit. That wasn't the point of my message. The point was that they stopped trusting God. Every time it's about not trusting God, it's saying, I trust my life, living my life better than you can run my life, God. You don't know what it's like living today. You don't know how the pressure's on me, God. I trust myself more than you. They stopped trusting God. They're wandering through the wilderness, but God still promises them a promised land to Israel. Now, I'm gonna quickly mention. Let me first say there's a diversity of opinions amongst Christians and others about interpretations of modern Israel. So let me just say quickly two things. I believe the Bible, what we're studying, points both towards a future for a Jewish Israel and its land, literally, while at the same time, the Christian church also fulfills many of the Old Testament prophecies that are directed to Israel, so what you're hearing me say, as we look at this third act of the play, how God's redemption is initiated through Israel, you're hearing Pastor Tim say, the Bible says both. You can argue that the Bible's promises are about a literal Israel, yes, but also figuratively about the church, yes, they're both true. I've spent time in the Middle East with my uh, Israeli Christian friends, and I've spent time in the Middle East with my Palestinian Christian friends. And guess what? They read the same Bible, and they're all working towards peace in the name of the promised one, Jesus, whom they both believe is coming back one day to make all things new. So amen, as we look around the world to the persecuted church, that we get to share in this communion bread and cup the sufferings around the world and the hope we have in the promised one. This is good news, but we get to be a part. And maybe even one thing that you do, maybe even today one prayer that you pray will matter somewhere across the world. I'm serious about that. Don't underestimate our friends around the world, our Palestinian Christian friends, our Israeli Christian friends, our friends in Africa, our friends in England. We are praying that God use our humble prayer, our mustard seed faith, change a life today. Change my life today as well. The Bible points to both about Israel. So now we take a look at verse 15 if you kept your Bible's open. You know, I like to jump around a little bit. Exodus 32 verse 15 it says then Moses turned and went down from the mountain where with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides on the front and on the back they were written. Tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And so what we see is that Moses was, he disappeared on a mountain and God had given Moses some ground rules for his chosen people. Now I said chosen, not perfect, right? Adam and Eve, he chose, but they weren't perfect. He chose Abraham, wasn't perfect. Isaac wasn't perfect. Jacob wasn't perfect. Moses wasn't perfect again and again and again. And the wandering Israelites were not perfect. So God says, let me give you some ground rules. Let me write this down. And so Moses went up to meet Yahweh, the Lord, on the mountaintop. God took two two big pieces of stone, and on them he carved the Ten Commandments, the Bible says. You can imagine them as ten special rules for us to obey. And what God was saying was something like this. Look, I love you, so let me be clear of some ground rules that's going to bring you a lot of joy. (laughs) That's what these are. These rules... These boundaries are going to make your life much better. So follow them. I gave them because I love you. I know what's best for you. I know you think you know what's best for you, but trust me, I made you. I knit you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were born. Trust me, I know you better than you know yourself. Trust me, you're going to want to follow these things. I put you together. I'm your creator. I made you. I'm your redeemer who will pursue you. This is what Moses did with God. But then he comes down from the mountain. Take a look at verse 17. Uh-oh, trouble. Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. And he said to Moses, there's noise of war in the camp. But then he said, well, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of cry of defeat, but the sound of singing. There's a party going Wait, what is happening? right? It's it's like when you hear these stories, not our teenagers, but, you know, when the parents are away for the weekend and someone throws a a little gathering at the house, Moses is coming down, saying, what has happened? Who listed this as an Airbnb party? What is going on in our backyard, right? And so Moses was gone so long on the mountain with God that the Israelites stopped trusting God. Does this sound familiar at all? Creation, fall, (laughs) redemption, they stopped trusting God. God, you're taking too long. God, we need some direction. God, we, we need this now. God, hurry up. Hurry up. My life, it needs some fixing. God, hurry this up. They didn't trust God. They didn't like his timing. And so God was really mad when he saw his people worshiping a statue, a golden calf that probably referred to the other false gods of the region, the very gods that God said, don't worship them. And here they are. Because they're waiting for for Moses for too long. And so God asks, God, please forgive them. Please forgive them. And God says, I'm good to my promises. There will be a punishment, but I will fulfill what I promise. I will still make you all a great nation. My salvation to the world will flow through you, Israelites. And he keeps his promise. Moses cried out to Aaron, trust only God. Don't go back to, to what our ancestors did in the garden and stop, trusting and, and stop trusting God and start trusting yourselves over what God says. But God punished them, but he did forgive, but he never stopped loving them. I don't know what kind of parent or parents you've had in your life, and maybe the kind of punishment or discipline or rules that you have received have not been healthy, and sometimes it's hard to imagine that any form of discipline or boundaries or rules are good. But I'm telling you, you have a God who has never stopped loving you, regardless of what kind of human mom or dad or grandparent you had. And that those are real pains in our lives, right? God is a perfect parent who will keep loving you to the end. Again and again and again, he'll keep pursuing you. He never stopped loving them. He's never stopped loving you, regardless of what you do. And so God, these imperfect Israelites, he told them to keep walking towards his promised land. That's what God promised. Even though you messed up, I've not stopped loving you. Even though you messed up, you're still going to go to the promised land. I'm still going to use you to bring salvation to the whole planet. Now, What we're going to see here is God chooses Israel, that throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see these images of Jesus come up again and again and again. You remember Genesis 1 and 2 last week? Genesis 1 talked about how God spoke creation into existence. And I said that's God's word. That's the logos from John chapter 1. Jesus was there at creation. He was there making you. He was there creating our solar system, and all that we can see and not see. Jesus, the creator, he's at creation. Jesus is also the offspring that God prophesied who will crush the head of the serpent. That's Jesus. That was Genesis 3. The ark of salvation that we see mentioned in the Old Testament. The substitutionary sacrifice provided for God, for Abraham Abraham and Isaac. That's Jesus. And so you can see Jesus when you open up the Old Testament page after page after page. Jesus, the promised one, is everywhere if you're looking for him. And so what God does, he reminds Israel that one day, the promised land that he promises will pale in comparison to the promised one. It's not all about getting the land. It's about getting the person, the Messiah, getting him in your life, saying yes to the promised one. It's not about getting something from God. It's about receiving the lordship of Jesus in your life. And we never know each week if anyone is here that hasn't yet said yes to following Jesus. We want to keep inviting you, keep inviting you to to wrestle with us or ask good questions or say, I don't get this whole thing. We would love to sit down and say, let's let's study this together. Let's pray together about inviting Jesus to lead you in your whole life. But you see, the promised land, God reminds Israel, will pale in comparison to the promised one. It's a person. It's a relationship. The Messiah who would accomplish the redemption and salvation that God initiates through Israel, right? Through a specific nation, but it's meant not just for them. It's meant for the entire world. That's what God does in this story, this drama of Scripture when he chooses Israel. It's a salvation plan through Israel, for the entire world. And guess what? I'm a recipient. (laughs) You are too, if if you're not Jewish, that God uses them to bring us the Messiah, Jesus. So, So that's why God chose Israel, to be a blessing, not just to them, but for the whole world. But Israel, we'll see throughout the Old Testament, turns away again and again. Creation, fall, redemption again. They turn away. They don't trust they say, God, we know how to run our lives better than you. We know how to run our nation better than you. We know how to run our economy better than you. God, we know what we're doing. You don't. We'll keep you in your compartment, God. And we want the golden calf here, and we'll have these other uh, cults over here that we like. And, uh, right, keep God in his compartment. Now, oh, guess what? It sounds a little bit like me when I wake up. I'm going to keep God in my compartment because I love him here in this part of my life and not over here. I don't want mess him messing with my marriage. I know how to run my marriage, but I don't want to mess with my parenting. Certainly don't want him messing with my, uh, uh, my economics, my bank account. That's, Lord, I know what I'm doing. So we compartmentalize God, and guess what the Israelites do again and again and again? And just like Adam and Eve, they stop trusting God. They start trusting themselves more than Yahweh, the one who made a covenant promise. He said, if you trust me, you will have joy. You will be blessed. But once things start getting hard... Sound familiar? We say, I'm waiting, I've been waiting too long, God. This prayer I've prayed, I've been praying, and you have not answered. So guess what? I'm taking control of my life. Because you aren't trustworthy, God. Or at least you're not fast enough. Maybe you're nice, but you're not quick. Right? <laughs> and so we say, God, I'm gonna be in charge. You see, from Abraham to Moses to the prophets, throughout the Old Testament, God had always intended Israel to decenter itself, to not trust itself, but to trust God. And to be a blessing to others, because he says that's a path to joy. That you were made and wired to bless others, to serve others, to make a difference in someone else's life, to make a difference in your schools or in your workplaces, that what you do, that it would matter. And so God gives them the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments and the other commandments, it would point Israel to love God and to love others. I just reread it this last week, it's super clear. Love God and love others, which sounds a lot like Jesus. To love God and love others. That's why you exist until he comes back again. To be a blessing. But Israel kept forgetting and I keep forgetting. And our church in the United States, we keep forgetting. I'm so glad we had the video on the persecuted church today to realize what the majority of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world experience every day. And guess what? They're not mad at us. They're inviting us in to pray for them to join them in this great work that they're doing, spreading the truth about the promised one who has come and his name is Jesus and in him is grace and unending mercy and ending love. Decenter yourself, they're sharing, as Jesus says, and make Jesus the center of your life. Undoing the brokenness of this world, giving a taste of God's goodness amidst all the sadness and brokenness. That's why you're on this planet, to give people a glimpse of God's Goodness. So you're wondering why you're sitting in class. Like, why am I next to this Yahoo? Right? Why is my desk next to them? Well, God said, I placed you there for a purpose. Why did I get this coworker in this cubicle? Well, guess what? God's got an assignment for you. You're like, well, I guess the assignment is patience. Yeah. Because <laughs> guess what? You're not patient enough. God's got a plan to work on your character. I guess. Pastor Tim says, quote unquote, your job is to live joyfully, being a blessing to others. Do you wake up every morning saying, yes, Jesus, I'm gonna remember. Every month, we're trying to remember why we exist. Broken, hurt, crushed body, poured out blood, grace, hope, joy. That's why we're alive. That's why we wake up every morning. But Israel forgot it wasn't all about them and their needs, that God didn't want to just bless their nation because he intended them to be a blessing. They were blessed to be a blessing. See, in Jesus, in the old covenant of the law, he says, I fulfilled it. That's Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, I fulfilled every single law of the Old Testament. Put your trust in me. You don't have to keep working at those anymore. I fulfilled it all. I'm the perfect fulfiller of the law that I created. And Jesus points himself as the new law, the new covenant, the new law of grace, the new law of love. He fulfilled the Old Testament law, the covenant, and he creates a new covenant. That's what this bread and cup is about, the new covenant, the grace of God. And in fact, Paul, the apostle says in Galatians 6 verse 2, he says that the new law of Christ is to carry one another's burdens, to be a blessing. Did you catch that? To love someone to listen, to share kindness, to give to those in need, to share in word and deed about this good God of grace. And as one who has received the grace of Christ through faith, you get to share in this great, great job, joyful job of being a blessing to others. Since God knew we could never perfectly keep the law of Moses. And so what he did, he sent his own son perfectly fulfill it, die on a cross, and somehow the mystery of it, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he absorbs your sin, and then what he does, he gives you back his perfect righteousness, his his perfect life. And what he does, he tells God to look at their lives, and when you look at their lives, see my perfection in them. Jesus says, blame me for all of their self-centeredness. Blame me for all of their apathy, and laziness. Blame me, Jesus says, for all of their contradictions. This is literally what it's called. It's called the great exchange, theologians call it. Jesus says, blame me, and I want you to bless them because of their faith. Bless them because they're hungry for righteousness. Give them what they don't deserve. And give me, Jesus says, what I don't deserve in their place. That's the great exchange. Jesus continues to remind us that we are called to share that good news. That's why you're alive, friends. Jesus knew we could never fulfill the law of Moses, so Jesus came to fulfill it. And to gift us, gift to us, unlosable love. And that's what we all want. We all want to be loved. There's no human on the planet who doesn't want to be loved. We're just looking for it in all the wrong items, <laughs> All the wrong places. We're looking for it in all the wrong downloads. (laughs) We're looking for it in all the wrong devices. We really are. It's him. It's the promised one who wants you to rest in his love. This unlosable, unearnable love. It's the great exchange where you get to take on Christ's perfection by faith. Now, what do we do until he comes again? We are to give people a taste of this goodness, this good news. Now, my friend Tim Dearborn tells a story of a church member of his who was such a good person that when people saw her life, they saw God's goodness. Now, Grace was her name, he says, and she was appropriately named because she came to Christ one Christmas Eve at a Salvation Army Hall. But listen to this, while her motorcycle gang leader lover was robbing a bank, she was at church. And Grace Riley commented that her new life in Christ that night and her new prison ministry began that same night <laughs> because her lover would be in prison. So over the next decades, Grace became notorious in that city, not as a gang member, but as a person with audaciously bold love. And so strengthened by faith-filled confidence in the Holy Spirit and by a black belt in karate, grace went where few others dared to go. She uh, used to say, the key to engaging in street ministry is to walk slowly. Walk slowly and ministry will happen to you. Now, let me tell you what she meant. So as a result of walking slowly in rough neighborhoods, she carried a note in her purse that said this, Dear Purse Snatcher, I'm sorry that life has brought you to the point that you must steal for your habit. Help yourself to my money, but it'll probably only help you for a few moments. I wish you'd return my purse and driver's license, though. It's such a bother to replace them. But beyond giving you my money that will help you for only a few seconds, I'd like to give you my Lord who will help you for eternity." Here's my phone number. I'm usually home after 11 p.m. Your servant in Christ, Grace. Now, Grace led 25 purse snatchers to Christ. What a great evangelism method, right? She was so notorious in her neighborhood that once, after her purse was snatched yet again, the thief sneaked back up to her, shame-faced, and returned her purse. I'm sorry, he said, I didn't realize whose purse I was taking. In the Old Testament, we get a picture of what Israel should look like. Yes, they should keep God's commands so that all the nations of the world will experience their life, look at their life, and see something of God's goodness that will make them want to know more. Your job is nothing different. God wants you to say yes to his story, invite Jesus to lead your life, make him your Lord, and then people be able to look at your life and see hope. Look at your life and see love. Look at your life and and want to be different because of you shining God's light through your little normal life. What God began with Israel is now carried on by the church, that our lives would attract people, not to the promised land, not to a building, not even to a religion, but to the promised one, a person that has changed your life, And you're inviting them to get to know this story. There's a young boy named Joey Johnson. He's nine years old. And he remembers the first time that he learned about children who are suffering around the world. He was uh, cozy in his kind of middle-class home with his five-year-old sister, Annie. And they were snuggling up with their mom. And they were flipping through the pages of this uh, organization's uh, catalog to learn about ways they could support families that were struggling around the world. And as they're reading about these children who are struggling, about children in very difficult situations, child abuse even, and not having safe homes, not having education, not having medicine, seeing women being treated poorly, they couldn't get nutritional food or health care. And Joey was quick to answer. He said, I want to help. Now, the thing to keep in mind is that Joey, nine-year-old, is confined to a wheelchair. He has a rare genetic disorder called mitochondrial disease. And it produces a whole range of difficulties, severities. There's no cure. But because Joey, as nine-year-olds, knows Jesus, he knows he has a love within them that's meant to be shared. And he shares it in his neighborhood, but he was compelled to share it with those in need that he didn't know had these needs. Because he says, I know how it feels to be helpless, how to be powerless. Joey knows what it's like to feel like an outsider, to feel forgotten. And see, our Jesus, the King, doesn't want us to forget that brokenness inside you, that sadness, that that, that loneliness inside, God actually wants you to remember that. So you say, oh, I'm supposed to use my pain for a purpose. You mean my loneliness has a meaning? My sadness could be a ministry, yes. Because Jesus wants to meet you in your sadness, in your loneliness, in your confusion, and then you get to share with other people. Let me tell you, someone I found, someone I found who's given me the peace and the love and the hope and the joy that we've all been looking for. You see, Joey didn't want other kids to not be able to achieve their goals and dreams. He knows his own sadness, his own loneliness. And for all of us here today, we can know that our pains can have a purpose. Our dreams can have direction, that your brokenness could be a platform for ministry, because you know why you're alive? To give a glimpse of God's goodness until he comes again. It's not about the promised land. It's about a promised one in you, sharing the life of Christ to others. Most of us aren't called to lead 25 purse snatchers to Christ. Maybe you're not called like Joey is, to raise $1,000 in his wheelchair doing triathlons and stuff like that to bring the plight of children and women around the world to people's eyes. But you're called to do something because there's this great feast that the Bible refers to at the end of all time that we'll be invited into with the promised one, Jesus. And your job, I said last week, i remind you again, is to hand out appetizers in your life that make people want more say, well, that's good. That tastes good. I want to know more. What's the thing to come? You are the appetizer. Your love, your grace, your hope, your fun, your creativity is the appetizer that makes people say, I want to know more about this person that you've given your life to. That's our job until Jesus comes back. And in my prayer is that we won't get distracted like Israel, that we won't get distracted like a lot of us in the church are, focusing on our own agendas, right? And we would remember to be a blessing to others, that we are put on this planet to share the love and the hope and the grace of God in word, in deed, in actions, in practical ways, through your life, handing out appetizers, pointing to the great feast that is yet to come. As we come to the table this morning, I want to remind you that this is a table of the Lord. It's a table of the King. And remind you as well that this bread and this cup are not just symbols, but are very real holy elements by the power of the Holy Spirit. That as you eat the bread and you drink from this cup, that you would have a sense of God's grace. And you don't have to earn his grace. This doesn't make you saved. But because you're saved, because you're loved, you're invited to this table of the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna invite you to the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. You are the promised one. And we can see you at every page of the Old Testament and coming into the New Testament. Lord, this story, it's true. You've never given up on us. And you took on our shame, our sin, and in the great exchange gave us your righteousness, your goodness becomes ours. Lord, how does this work? We don't get it, but we say thank you. We come to this table today. We come to the bread and the cup in this room today grateful for your love that we can never lose because we never earned it. Lord, it's a gift. And Lord, would you use us to be a blessing? May we recommit ourselves to our lives being a glimpse of your goodness in our schools, in our work, in our families, in this very city, Lord. Use us to be a blessing, pointing to you, the promised one, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.